the uh, systemic inversion. Uh, it can be treated. People usually, they may have some damage, but they usually don't die from it. The, uh, the sepsis, once that starts, if it's not treated, uh, people can die within 24 hours. Okay. And it, it's a, a, a lot of interest uh, now. Okay, so this is uh, this is the diagram of the, the, uh, the system. We, we already know basically what that looks like. Uh, this is what the organism looks like. So they, they're kind of like two little peas in a pod. That's how they hang out. Uh, and so this one uh, is one that, that is most patients are either infants or occasionally elderly. But about 10 or 12 years ago, there was an increase in cases in college-age students, okay, the 18 to 26 age group. It still hasn't been determined why that happened, uh, although it certainly did uh, during that time, and they still occur, uh, most often on college campuses, which are ideal places for spread of disease, you know, particularly people living in dorms. Okay? You know, you've got a lot of people that live in close proximity, um, here sharing bathrooms, you know, Although today it's usually a suite, so you're not sharing with the whole floor like it was when I went to school. Uh, there was one bathroom on the floor, you know. Everybody shared that, including the showers and everything. So we didn't have uh, co they weren't co-ed then. Uh, that was uh, that was strictly prohibited when I went. Uh, in fact, that where I went, there was a small school, private you know, liberal arts type of place, and uh, they locked the girls' dorms every night. Okay, the girls were locked up, put away, okay, and they, they didn't do anything at other dorms. I guess they figured if all the women were locked up, the guys weren't going to get in much trouble. So I, I don't know if that's really very valid, but that's what they did. Uh, think about, like they locked the dorms at 10 o'clock on weeknights, and then 11 o'clock on Friday and Sunday, and at midnight on Saturday. Of course, there was really nowhere to go, you know, where I was, so... It, really wasn't a big deal. And if you uh, were on financial aid, you weren't allowed to have a car on campus. So that left out probably two-thirds of the campus, two-thirds, three-quarters of the campus was on some kind of financial aid. So you know, basically, you weren't going anywhere anyway. Uh, but at any rate, uh, this has become common. We used to use uh, have a video that we did in lab. It's a bit old now, so uh, Ms. Spencer does not include it anymore. Uh, but it was about this. and. Uh, and it went through exactly what happens when the uh, the sepsis, the, the organism uh, is uh, gets into the blood, and it's easily it, it, you know it, it has an endotoxin. Remember now, endotoxins are uh, something that is a part of the structure of the bacterium, and, and as opposed to a, an exotoxin, which is something that the organism secretes out into its environment. Um, and it is easily killed with penicillin. I mean, penicillin, wax, this gone. But the problem is, as the cells disintegrate, they release all these uh, endotoxins. And the endotoxins interfere uh, with the uh, white blood cells. White blood cells, instead of flowing through, start to roll along the capillaries. And as they do, they start, there starts to be an accumulation of damage to the capillaries. And then ultimately they rupture, and then they have clotting factors, and this is what causes the the, the fatigue that, that occurred in this. Um, 
individuals uh, often, depending on how quickly it was caught, uh, would lose fingers and toes because those parts of the body would be short of oxygen and they, they would actually, uh, I know the one they showed was a hockey player at Michigan State, I think. Uh, and he, well, one didn't survive, but the other one who survived, uh, he lost three fingers on one hand. Now, if there's a vaccine for this, um, for most of it, uh, and, and most colleges, very few colleges require that vaccine, uh, although uh, I don't know what it costs today to get, uh, probably about $100 to get the vaccination, uh, unless, you, unless you're medical, unless you, have, you know, have medical insurance that covers that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, they do warn students about it. Uh, in that video we used to have, that one of the, uh, the professor at UVA that explained that, you know, that uh, mass vaccinations are not worth it because there's so few cases overall that it costs more to vaccinate everybody than the quote damage unquote of some people getting the disease and dying, uh, and so they don't. There's no mass vaccination now. England did do mass vaccinations. Uh, they had a lot. They had a bigger problem. There's five strains of this organism. Uh, four of them are taken care of by the vaccination. The fifth one is not. The fifth one is fairly common in the U.S. Uh, they can't do it because its outer protein coats mimic your own body tissues. And so you can't make a vaccine for them. Because it would then also attack your own body tissues. So, uh, okay, so um, that's, uh, that's the first one, Neisseria meningitis. And this is normally considered the, the primary uh, organism that causes meningitis. Uh, Streptococcus pneumoniae can also cause uh, this. It's, it's called a pneumococcus. Um, it is also frequently uh, uh, does cause meningitis as well. It does not cause the petechia that you get with the meningococcal organism. Uh, it can be fairly severe. Uh, so, but again, keep in mind, meningitis is simply an inflammation and infection in the meninges. Any organism that does that causes, quote, meningitis, unquote. It just depends on, you know, what the organism is. Uh, Haemophilus influenzae can also do this. Uh, again, typical uh, symptoms, fever, stiff neck, vomiting. Uh, you know, and obviously, if you have an inflammation in and around the brain, you get some neurological symptoms. Uh, Haemophilus does not does not do well outside the body though for very long. Uh, it dries out very quickly and is easily killed with disinfectants. Uh, listeria, monocytogenes. This is a gram positive, not a gram negative. All the others so far were gram negatives. Um, this is the one that's resistant to cold. Actually, it's resistant to a lot. Um, in normal adults, it's a very mild infection. Fever, diarrhea, sore throat usually doesn't go beyond that. But in either in uh, in the fetus, if it crosses the the, uh, the uh, placenta, or in elderly or those who are immune compromised, of course, people who are immune compromised are kind of have a problem with everything. Uh, but um, this it can infect the brain, and you can get septicemia from it. Generally speaking, it does not do that. Septicemia is when the organism has spread into the bloodstream. And once it's in the bloodstream, it gets sent all over the body. 
It, it takes blood from your heart to out and then back to the heart is about 60 seconds for most parts of your body. So once stuff gets into the bloodstream, within minutes, it has spread through the entire body. And that's why septicemia is always considered a, a problem. Um, antibiotics, depending on what it is, I mean, use antibiotics. Bacterium, that's about your only, that's really your only defense uh, in, in that particular case. So, um, that's Listeria. Cryptococcus neoformans is a fungal organism. Um, it can also cause meningitis. Again, the symptoms are a bit different because they don't come on suddenly. Uh, meningococcus is, a, is an acute infection. If a person is well in the morning and that night they're sick. Okay, it's really, really quick. This is a much slower, um, again, headache, uh, nausea. Any, I mean, anytime you have an inflammation of the, of the meninges, you're going to get headache because you're going to cause pressure. Uh, this is not nearly as common, but it's uh, an organism that's what it looks like. Uh, and these are. Uh, some uh, symptoms for people with the fungal disorder. Uh, this is coccidioides imitis. This is another uh, one that uh, usually starts as a pulmonary infection, but can move into the nervous system. Uh, now, coccidia is spread by mosquitoes. Uh, and uh, it, it goes through a couple of hosts then, so it's in the Human. This is much like uh, uh, a lot like malaria, basically, in its cycle. Okay. And this is where those two are, are, are generally. This is the most common place. Um, the uh, red is the uh, uh, let's see, is the of this is coccidioides is in the red areas uh, and it used to be called valley fever we'll get to it again when we get to the respiratory system because it's most often a respiratory infection uh, but this is the part of the country where it's generally found so it's endemic in these areas it's a thought to be endemic in this part of Mexico we just don't know uh, healthcare in many of those areas is just not don't get data about that And then there is viral meningitis. It's also called aseptic because it doesn't become a septic infection. Uh, mostly children, uh, generally milder, rarely any deaths from it. Uh, again, the treatment though, on the other hand, is obviously different. Antibiotics aren't gonna, be, aren't gonna work. So these are just a list then of some of the organisms that can cause meningitis. Gives you kind of a, a, uh, a look at them. Uh, and again, for treatment, almost all of these you notice, well, penicillin for Neisseria, cephalopaxime, uh, ampicillin, amphotericin, okay. And again, for viral, there really is no specific antiviral for them. Okay. So, meningitis is clearly a, 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 a disease of the nervous system, okay. Uh, and the, the point of this really is it can be caused by a large number of different 
organisms. Meningitis does not mean a specific organism. It simply means an infection of the meninges. Uh, and this is probably the most common one that we're used to seeing. These are, uh, these are less common. And as you go down the list here, they become less and less common. But all of them are capable of causing meningitis. I've always been uh, amused by, uh, for Hemophilus, you culture it on chocolate agar. It doesn't have chocolate in it, okay? It just looks like chocolate. It's brown, it looks like chocolate, but it doesn't have chocolate. I always found that as a strange uh, name for an agar. Okay, then you can have neonatal. In other words, this can be caused uh, uh, through the, um, the placenta or as the baby passes through the uh, birth canal. Uh, and these are the two uh, most common causes in this case. Uh, these are certainly easily uh, treated with antibiotics, both of them. Um, if um, a mother is, um, it has group B strep, usually they're required to have antibiotics prior to, to delivery. Generally today, they require antibiotics in that case because if the baby does get it and then they're not treated, then that puts the hospital in a liability situation. That's one of the problems, and that's the way our legal system works. You could sue them because they didn't do it, uh, even though the chances were very slim. And so that's a large part of why that's done. Okay, so neonatal listeria can also, and you'll notice the mode of transmission is vertical because that's from mother to, to child. Okay, now, there's also uh, encephalitis, which is, it falls kind of in roughly the same category because it's an inflammation in the brain, but it's not just the meninges. This actually gets inside the brain and, and these two organisms cause, it's called meningoencephalitis. These are amoebas, okay, that um, can get into the brain, and what they do in the brain is they uh, just, they slowly destroy brain cells. Okay, uh, now the one that people are most concerned about is uh, neglaria. Uh, it forms a cyst, and what happens, as far as we can tell, Infection, now they, they tend to live in warm water, so they tend to be in the south or in the, the southwest uh, where there have been cases, that's usually where they've been. Um, the uh, water is forced up into the nasal passages, that can happen from diving or uh, a water skiing and you fall and water, you know, right up in the nose. And then what the amoeba gets into the nasal mucosa, moves through the openings in the brain case where the, uh, the olfactory nerves come through. And then once inside the brain, you get this primary amoebic meningocephaly, or PAM, as it's referred to. Um, this is a, an image of it. Kind of comical looking, actually, but it's really dangerous. Um, and the other one is, a, is another type of amoeboid. It usually comes through broken skin, the conjunctiva, occasionally the lungs. Uh, this causes a different type of uh, meningoencephalitis. Now, um, 
So the primary one here is usually exposure while swimming, uh, while in water. This one would be through direct contact through the skin. Um, you notice treatment? Uh, you get granulomas from this. Granulomas are simply usually uh, uh, benign growths, and they can be surgically removed. Uh, you know, and that's so that's pretty easy. Um, the uh, primary one, Neglaria, there is no effective treatment for. Uh, only one person has had it and survived. That was documented in the United States. Uh, it was a young girl. I think she was about 13 down in South Carolina. Uh, they do give antibiotics, but remember, most antibiotics will not cross the blood-brain barrier. This is a problem. Okay, so it's very difficult to treat. And so, for the most part, it's considered to be uh, a lethal disease. Once you got it, your chances are not good of surviving. Uh, there were last about four years ago, there were some cases of uh, I can't think of what you call them the little hot things that people use to irrigate their nose. You know, water up one side and then down the other. Yeah, some people do that. Uh, what they were doing was using uh, tap water rather than sterile water, and there were a couple of instances where that where this that people got this. So, yeah. Doesn't that, um, are sulfonates the, the big deal with West Nile virus and the mosquitoes that carry that also affect the encephalitis? Well, you get encephalitis, yes. West Nile causes encephalitis. Also. Okay, so that's not. Now, that's not, not related to it. Yeah, well, yeah, we haven't gotten into viral guys here that much yet. Okay. Now, there's an acute, uh, it can either be an acute or a subacute. It's always serious, of course. Um, and these are the kind of general signs and symptoms. Um, you don't get the same kind of swelling that you do with meningitis, and, uh, although it, you do get a series of symptoms here. Now, these are the arboviruses. Okay, these are insect-borne, um, and they usually have a reservoir in some animal somewhere, but when the insects feed on them and then they feed on another animal, they can transmit the organism when they do that. Uh, and so we had a whole range of them uh, around here. Uh, not Western equine encephalitis. That obviously is in the western part of the country. Uh, usually it appears, it's called equine because usually it appears in horses first. Uh, and then uh, horses are bitten by the mosquitoes and they carry it to humans who work around. It is dangerous for infants and small children. Uh, for adults, um, generally seem to fight it off pretty well. Uh, so that's Western equine encephalitis. Okay, we also have an Eastern equine encephalitis. That's on the East Coast. Uh, there are cases in this area every year, uh, mostly down in uh, Suffolk and along the Carolina border. Um, again, usually appears in horses first, and then birds. Has a pretty high fatality rate. Okay, so this is a little more dangerous than the Western version. Um, you don't get a lot of cases of it, so the, the overall fatality rate or the, the number of fatalities is fairly small simply because not that many people get it. Generally, when it's detected in horses, horses are quarantined. Uh, people are kept, uh, they advise you to stay away, that you, you do everything you can to keep mosquitoes off of you. Like, that's never entirely successful, but uh, that's one of, you know, one of the things you, you do. And then eventually it, it kind of disappears again, and then it'll come back in another year or you know, whatever. So that's Eastern Equine Encephalitis. 
there's a California encephalitis, um, primary rural areas, not something we're concerned about here. There's the St. Louis encephalitis. Um, this is the most common encephalitis in North America, uh, but most epidemics occur in the Midwest. Uh, again, fatalities are rare with these, with most of these, as long as people get treatment, fatalities are rare, uh, but there's always, you know, it's always a risk. Then there's West Nile, okay? Uh, this is increasing in numbers. West Nile um, first appeared in the United States, oh, it's been about 10, 10 12 years ago, I think. Uh, it first appeared in New York City. Um, and what they had in New York City at the time, uh, it was not known to be in, the, in, in, in uh, either Europe or the Americas. Uh, they had people getting sick and dying in the hospital and they didn't know what was causing it because it didn't match anything. And they, at first they thought it was the St. Louis encephalitis, and they, uh, but then they, they sent uh, samples to Fort Detrick. And the Army uh, looked at it and said, no, this is West Nile virus, because they, they would know about that. Most doctors, that was not something they'd ever seen, okay? They said it was West Nile virus. How it got to New York City, nobody knows. Uh, the thought is it probably got on, on an airplane along with the passengers and got off in New York. Uh, the, the reservoir for these are birds, primarily crows. Had a lot of deaths of crows in New York during that time and other birds. Uh, they, uh, and so the mosquitoes bite the birds and then they bite a human and then they transmit the virus. Now, in this one, it turned out that all the fatalities were over 65 and they were people that were normally outside and active People, but usually they were outside around dusk, which is when mosquitoes are quite active. Uh, it, they, uh, they sprayed all over New York, uh, all of New York City, uh, much of uh, New Jersey, on up into Connecticut. Uh, and eventually, as it, got, as it got cold, of course, it started to disappear because the mosquitoes were disappearing. And then the, the question was, what would it do? Would it spread? And yes, it has. It spread about across the entire country. It's found in every state in, in the United States. Uh, there are, we know it's endemic here in Virginia, although we don't get very many cases of it. It's relatively rare here, but uh, it's definitely around. So another one of your local friendly viruses. Uh, herpes simplex can occasionally uh, cause this in newborns. Uh, it does not go well for them. They have no immunity, really, to speak of. There's something called the JC virus, which uh, only occurs in peoples with uh, uh, immune dysfunction. So again, it's an inflammation of the white matter. It's very uncommon, but almost always fatal. And so this is, again, just a list of some of the organisms that cause this. You'll notice they listed all the arboviruses in a single column. So Western Equine, Eastern Equine, California, St. Louis, West Nile, all here, all vector arthropod bites. So this would be what we would refer to as a zoonosis because it's transferred by animals. Okay? Um, insect control is what you do because your treatment of the virus is, is limited to um, supporting the individual. Now, one of the things they thought when they had this in New York is that certainly these elderly people who uh, ended up in the hospital were by 
not likely to be the only ones who, who were bitten and got the disease, but that normal, healthy adults simply, yeah, okay, I don't feel very good. I kind of like a flu feeling. And then it and then they got better. And they never went to see a doctor. So they had no idea how many people actually got it. So one of the problems, again, for, for uh, public health, uh, a lot of people don't go see a doctor unless they're on the verge of dying almost. And, you know, it's expensive and they don't may not have health insurance. And, and they just don't go. And if they don't go, nobody knows what they have. And it never gets reported. And if you don't know about it, you obviously can't do a lot about it. Okay, herpes, of course, we already know about that. Uh, uh, JC virus, and then immunologic things, uh, basically steroids are the typical, because that reduces the immune response. Okay, now subacute uh, takes a lot longer to show up, and really the symptoms are very low. Um, now, I had a video that we did earlier in the semester about the guy who talked about parasites. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I think I showed that in here. Yeah. Okay. Toxoplasma. Uh, this is a, an organism that's uh, the primary carrier of cats. Um, they produce cysts, which pass out in the feces and the litter box, or if you're out in the, in the wild, you know, obviously under the ground. And uh, what tends to happen is uh, those cysts, as it dries out in the litter, um, it, you, know, you get a lot of dust. I don't know if any of you have cats in litter boxes, there's a lot of dust when you clean. And you can inhale these things. Okay? Now, it is thought that in humans, nobody, it, it doesn't really do much. Uh, very few people actually get ill. or not like the mouse who, who or, or the rat who goes and seeks out a cat, you know, uh, to get eaten and so it can be on to another gen generation, but um, but we, we it is thought that, and while it's never been entirely tested, that there's probably a lot of humans who have been exposed to this and carry antibodies for it. Does it affect our behavior? Well, in the video, he implied that it might. We don't honestly know at this point, but it's a very common pathogen. It's a very subacute means it's you know it's not very. Not very many symptoms, uh, and usually you just don't even know you have it. But we may all be carrying some parasites in our brains, and we just don't know that they're there. So this is Toxoplasma gondii. Uh, again, it's in most cases unnoticed. Now, where it is a problem is for the fetus, uh, particularly in the first trimester. It can cause birth defects or even uh, miscarriages. Uh, so if uh, somebody gets pregnant and they have cats, you ought not to be cleaning the litter box during that time period. Okay. Um, again, usually the asymptomatic, very mild symptoms. You know the things. You know the kind of thing that you wake up, you just don't feel quite right, but you're not really sick. You go through your normal days, and then it goes away, and you have no idea what what it was. That happens to everybody. Okay, and so this is a little diagram. Uh, so, now the normal route of these is from rats or birds to cats and around that cycle. But on occasion, if we inhale, and, and also other mammals can get it, uh, you inhale it, then it infects us. Now, chances are very good that if it infects a human, it's a dead end. It's not going anywhere from us. Because generally speaking, we're not eaten by anything. 
I guess if a tiger ate you, that would make you not good for the tiger. Probably less good for you. So, uh, but so we're, we're uh, for, uh, there's quite a few diseases that humans are relative dead ends for. Them. Uh, some of the parasitic worms do not transmit from us anywhere. So those who end up in humans are just, oh well, you know, they don't manage to reproduce that successfully. All right, then we also have prions. This is a transmissible spongiform encephalopathy. I love that word, okay? Um, mad cow disease, if you prefer. Um, although that uh, humans did not normally get that, uh, but it turns out that, that some humans appear to have gotten it. Uh, Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease has been around for quite a long time, CJD. Um, it's mostly a European, uh, it was not something you saw very often. It doesn't appear in usually in, until late in life, and then there's a gradual degeneration in, in, uh, in, in brain function and, and ultimately dying. Um, and then there's a couple of others here that are, are unusually rare. Uh, but uh, this is what the brain looks like uh, from somebody who's autopsy who had this, or it could be a cow, it wouldn't matter. Uh, it, it's got all these little holes in it, hence the name spongiform, looks like a sponge. Uh, it's an encephalopathy because it's a pathological condition in the brain, and it's hence the name. Okay? Now, the one that cows are, have had, and again, it's never been a documented case of this in the United States. Uh, the, the big issue was in England, or Great Britain for a while, uh, and they seem to have handled it now. Uh, but it was called bovine spongiform encephalopathy, or BSE. Again, most people knew of it as mad cow disease. Uh, basically, the, uh, you see all these little uh, tangles of proteins like here and here? These accumulate in the brain tissue, and that's what leads to death of the cells. We don't really know why uh, at this point. All we know is that it's very, very difficult to, uh, to get rid of. Uh, you know, incineration seems to be the only way that you can get rid of this. They're, these are proteins. Remember, they're proteins. They're not living organisms. So what happens is, this is the normal protein right here. We all have it. It's in our it's in our brain cells. We don't we're not entirely sure exactly what it does, but everybody has this. This is the exact same protein, but you'll notice that it has folded into a different shape. Now, what happens when you acquire this this form is when it comes into contact with the normal one, the normal one is slowly changed into the abnormal form. And then they that's a kind of a you know chain reaction process. Uh, normally, it's thought that uh, the incubation period is often as much as 20 years before anything shows up. Um, and then, of course, somebody may die, and they may not even have to be aware of what it was at that point. Um, the big concern was in, in Britain, where they, they made sure some of it got into the food chain for a while until they care of that is would they have an outbreak in, in younger people and there was a time period where there were not a huge number but a small number of like teenagers dying from this um, and it turned out that when you looked at their genetics they had a particular confirmation in this protein that made them more susceptible and 
So there were some who uh, were much more resistant to the changes because of their what they had inherited. Okay, so these are Toxoplasma gandhi. Fecal oral is primary route, although you can get it by eating contaminated meat. Uh, this is the subacute, uh, and then these are the prions. Long incubation, once it begins, it moves fairly quickly. I remember in the video we have, that was a really good video, but again, with all these videos, they get old, and then everybody wants to get rid of them because, well, they're old, you know, but this one was really well done. And, uh, they talked about the kind of symptoms people have in, in, in that. Uh, and basically, uh, they uh, go blind, usually. Uh, they have uh, hallucinations. So they see things happening around them, but you know, they aren't actually seeing anything. It's all in their minds. Uh, they said that the, one of the people who talked about one of the teenagers who got it, that one of the first things they noticed is that uh, there was a, a something on, on the telly, as they call it, over there. Uh, where there was a fire, he would feel like he was burning up, even though nothing was happening to him. Uh, and that was when they first started no noticing abnormal behavior. Okay. And he eventually, obviously, he died after a few years. Uh, so they generally uh, have to be hospitalized. They can't care for themselves. Um, and, uh, not, a, not a good way to go. Now, this was originally discovered in New Guinea, uh, it was called Kuru, was the name of the disease there. Uh, the foray was a, was a native uh, tribe in the, in the mountains of, of New Guinea. Uh, it was, uh, the Kuru in their language means to walk in fear and trembling. And, and basically they had this disease and it was a progressive disease and the first thing people would do is they would begin to stumble, they couldn't walk well, they then they, they would wouldn't be able to feed themselves and they would gradually deteriorate and die. Now, this was not widespread other than within this one group. And it turned out an American uh, got a Nobel Prize for figuring out what was happening. Uh, and uh, they were cannibals, uh, is what was going on. So, because uh, that's how it's transmitted is by eating infected body parts. Okay? Uh, and, you know, we think of cannibalism as pretty, a pretty awful sort of thing. None of us would want to do that, I hope. Uh, but to them, again, remember it's cultural. In their culture, everybody contains personal power. And when people died, you honored them by eating them and passing their power on to the whole tribe. That was just, that's how they thought of this, okay? Uh, and so it tended, and that's why it continued to progress within that group. Okay. Yeah, cultural difference. Well, if you completely incinerated, there wouldn't be any. Yeah, now, now ashes probably would be okay. If you want to eat ashes, you probably want to. Nobody would do that. That isn't what they do. They'd actually cook them and eat them. Yeah. Okay, uh, another, uh, and, and I, I think somebody's doing this in lab uh, next week too, but uh, rabies is a, uh, a neural 
disorder. Uh, it's fairly slow, actually. Um, it's fatal almost 100% of the time, if not treated. Uh, it takes one to two months to occur, which is why if you're bitten by a dog or something, and, you know, and you, uh, they will quarantine the dog for a week or two, because in a week or two, you're, you're still okay, and if the dog develops rabies in that time, then they can treat you. They still have time to treat you. Um, so, I mean, that's, uh, so it is fairly slow. So it starts off feeble, fever, nausea, vomiting, headache, and then you go into one or two stages. There's furious, very agitated, disoriented, spasms in the neck and pharyngeal muscles. This is why, it, why it's referred to as hydrophobia, because uh, the swallowing water makes this happen, okay? Um, and then there's dumb rabies, where the person is not hyperactive, but is actually paralyzed and disoriented. This is the more common one that we uh, see and are concerned about in animals. All of them progress ultimately into a coma and death. Now, this is treatable. Uh, if, if you knew you were exposed to rabies, they would give you, first of all, um, vaccination. They give you a series of a couple of vaccinations, and then they would also inject you with uh, antitoxins. Antibodies already produced against the because your body will not make not make uh, antibodies fast enough to protect. So it's very treatable. Um, most people do not get vaccinated for it unless they work around animals all the time. Okay, um, a lot of veterinarians would be would be uh, vaccinated for this, and uh, and wildlife uh, officers who are going to work around wild animals often are vaccinated. temperature, I think, and all that. Yeah, and she did survive. Unfortunately, that has since been tried on other patients, and it has not been successful. Um, that's one of the very few people that have known been known to survive rabies with, uh, after it had gotten into the symptomatic stage. It's very unusual. Uh, but it's, it's a chance. Not near you, you have to, it's transmitted in the saliva. So you'd have to get the saliva, you'd have to have an open wound to get it. Uh, and so normally you get it when by being bitten. That's the typical. No. Now, the typical animals around here that are rabbit are raccoons, uh, foxes. Um, in other areas, skunks are. We don't have, at least as you go east from here, skunks are really rare. Uh, I know if you go back out a little north and west, the skunks are pretty common. Uh, but down where, where uh, I am, down in you know, Williamsburg, when I live down in Grafton area of York County, never saw skunks. I never smelled them. Uh, they just, I don't know if it's because the water table is too high and they, they can't den properly. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, skunks are, uh, they're pretty... Uh, well, I, I would consider them to be relatively harmless animals. They, I mean, unless they're ill with something like rabies, they, they really don't bother anybody. If you leave them alone, they leave you alone. Well, and the worst they're going to do is spray you. Uh, that at least is 
not permanent, and I'll, I'll, uh, it, it smells pretty bad. But, uh, that's, and, but they give warning before they spray, because they can only spray so many times and then they're out. Now, I mean, you know, they, and then they have to make more of that stuff, and so uh, they don't want to spray. Uh, just like snakes and venom, they really do not want to envenomate somebody because, at least, if not especially if it's not going to be food, uh, because then they have to make more venom and that costs them, uh, you know, met metabolic energy, uh, and they only have so much. So you know, they're sometimes. Uh, in fact, I have a thing from the uh, Virginia Herpetological Association that says that uh, almost forty percent of bites by venomous snakes are what they call dry bites. No venom was, was uh, put out through the fangs. No, not necessarily. The snake has a choice. It does not have to envenomate you. It can decide what it's going to do. And if you're, I, I don't know, uh, maybe it's a, for some of them, maybe it's just a warning to bite and you figure they'll be left alone. Uh, you can be food. Uh, they're going to save that for need the venom to paralyze the food. Okay, so rabies clearly is a neural uh, system disease. It's what it looks like. It's often referred to as a bullet virus because it looks a lot like a bullet. It's one of the large viruses. Uh, and uh, this is a, just a diagram of it. You don't need to know all those proteins or anything. It's an RNA virus. Okay, so uh, Post-exposure, both passive and active immunization, that's the same treatment. There is an inactivated vaccine that can be used. Okay, another uh, disease that is pretty much unknown in the United States is polio, at least today. Uh, that was not the case quite a few years ago. Polio was relatively common. Uh, it's a uh, an infection in the spinal cord that can cause muscular paralysis. It affects the motor nerves. Uh, it was most common in children, but even young adults would get it. Um, the actual infection itself was pretty short. The problem was that it then spread along the spinal cord, gets into the motor neurons, and this would, would cause varying degrees of paralysis. Uh, the paralysis for one person would be different others. Um, and obviously it would, it would be fatal if the uh, diaphragm was paralyzed. And that's why they used the iron lung back then. That's what they had. Uh, you lived here until you uh, were, well, hopefully you got use of this your diaphragm back after a while. Otherwise you were in this big iron thing uh, that caused pressure changes so that air would go in and you couldn't come out of it because you couldn't breathe. Uh, yeah. No, no, you 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 are in it. Uh, you lay in it inside of it, and with just your head sticking out. And it kind of seals around here, and then there's pressure changes inside that cause pressure changes in your chest, just like. Okay, so the virus usually uh, came through food or dirty fingers, often from water with uh, sewage. I remember when I was a kid, uh, parents in the summer, middle of the summer, it was usually a warm weather uh, thing. They were very reluctant to let their children go to swimming pools because they were afraid that they were going to get 
might get polio. Um, it uh, gets into the intestine, uh, and then uh, there may be no symptoms at all, but you uh, can also get into nerve cell death, which can cause muscle paralysis. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt had polio, and you ne rarely, you, you, will no you never see him because during that time period, the media was very uh, careful about what they would show. He was never allowed to be shown in a wheelchair or be helped somewhere. You only saw him when he was standing or if he was sitting. But you didn't see him ever in between. Uh, today, that would never happen. Okay. Uh, but that's what he had. And he's the one who started the, uh, the March of Dimes. Uh, uh, he was involved in that. Uh, and today, polio is no longer much of a problem. Okay. Um, now, here's where a naturally occurring polio seems to be. This is 2012, and you'll notice it's only in, basically this is Pakistan and uh, Afghanistan, and then a couple of places in Africa. Other than that, it's been pretty much eradicated. It is the next on the list, the CDC thinks it's the next on the list to be eradicated. Unfortunately, they have problems uh, and cultural issues with people, particularly in Pakistan, believing that those who are giving the injections are actually making them sterile so they can't have children. And so a number of, several teams of people who are out doing this have been killed because of, of that. Um, and so it's still naturally occurring in that area. Uh, so severe paralysis, you can see from the legs that there's no muscle on there. Muscles will waste away if there's no uh, uh, nervous innervation. She would be totally unable to walk. Um, it's on Perlman. He's a violinist. He had polio. You don't notice it easily. You can see he's wearing leg braces and he has crutches. That's the only way he can get around. Legs don't function well. Obviously, his upper body functions just fine. He's a world-class violinist. This is what the iron lungs looked like. This is how people were, were treated at one time. Um, you can't see them really well, but they would lay inside of this with their head sticking out over here. And that was basically what, how it worked. <coughs> yeah? When it was getting to where they were having difficulty breathing, they would be put in this. Now, a lot of people eventually recovered the ability to for their diaphragm to work. It was not one of the more common ones. Uh, and then they could be taken out of this. Uh, this, at that time, was the only treatment there was for those people. They would, be, they would die otherwise. So polio, fecal oral route, primarily. Um, there is no treatment other than supportive. There is a, uh, there are two vaccines. Um, there's a live attenuated one that we use here, and then there's an inactivated vaccine that's used in other areas because it stores better. You can store it without refrigeration longer, and that's, that can be a problem in, in rural areas. Uh, we only use the, uh, the live attenuated one now. When it first came out, we used both. I remember I was in elementary school when the first vaccine came out, and they herded us all into the gym and they gave us all shots. Nobody asked me. I'm sure that there was something sent home to your parents. It must have been, but I don't remember that. And then and it was a series of shots. 
And then uh, not long after that, the the oral one came out. And then we, we did that too. So uh, People were just so thankful to have something to protect the children. From. Yeah, another uh, neural uh, type is tetanus. Clostridium tetany is a soil bacterium. It's not the bacterium that gets you, it's the toxin that it produces. Uh, basically, it binds onto motor neurons and it blocks the inhibition of muscle contraction. So muscles can contract, but then you can't stop them. And so you get what's called spastic paralysis. Uh, you may remember when you did 141 that we said when a muscle was fully, when all the muscle fibers were fully contracted, we called that tetany. Okay, that's where, that's where that name comes from. Okay, so uh, these are some of the first symptoms. Uh, the jaw and then extreme arching in the back, arms, legs. Uh, this is what it looks like. It's, it's a endospore forming, okay, because it's a clostridium. Uh, these are the endospores here. here. They, they form at the end of the cell. This is a, a baby that has it. Notice the, the arching of the back here. So basically what it's doing is uh, inhibitory neurons are inhibited from functioning. So muscles are told to contract and then nobody ever tells them to stop. So there is a, certainly a uh, vaccine for that. Everybody's had it. Uh, you should be having it every 10 years. Um, if you don't know when your last one was, um, it'd be a good idea to get another, get another one. It's not something you want to get. Um, it's a uh, treatment. There's a, an antitoxin that's given. That's a passive treatment. Okay, it's, al it's already made against the toxin. And then it'll also give you the active immunization at the same time. Oh yeah, if you can uh, maintain uh, body functions you this will, and then do this treatment, you will recover. You can recover. So, if you're given, even if once together, you get vaccines of And they'll give you an antitoxin. The antibody's already pre-made. They're not gonna wait for you to, to do it. Okay. Uh, so again, clearly a, another neural system. And along with that then goes botulism, which is actually the opposite. This is Clostridium botulinum. Uh, there are the three types here, foodborne, infant, uh, and then wound. Uh, foodborne is the most common. You, you ingest the toxin. Uh, these are the symptoms, double vision, uh, difficulty swallowing, uh, descending uh, muscle paralysis, respiratory compromise. Clostridium botulinum is another spore-forming anaerobic bacterium is an exotoxin, it actually secretes the toxin. Again, the bacterium is not what gets you, it's the toxin that it produces that is the problem. Um, and so what it does is it blocks the ability of the neuromuscular junction to release acetylcholine. And hence, there's no way to tell the muscle to contract. And so you have, as it spreads through the body, you get gradual paralysis of different muscles. Uh, so again, most people uh, get it. Uh, there have been case, there are cases every year 
Uh, usually they're from uh, home canned materials that were not uh, boiled long enough, uh, and some of the spores remained in there. And since they're anaerobic in there, they, they then, after being uh, boiled, uh, they would recover and they would grow and they would release the toxin. Uh, if they catch it early, you, you, you will recover. If it goes too long, there, there's some, well, maybe it's very late treatment, uh, maybe too late. I know there were a couple of people over in Roanoke area that died from this last year. But that's really rare anymore. What? The signs? Uh, let's see, I guess it does. I guess it's just a gradual spreading paralysis. So you get difficulty swallowing. Double vision is a good sign uh, that has been infected. Dizziness and then gradual muscular paralysis. So in the very early stages, uh, the treatment would probably be successful. As you get into the paralytic phase, it may or may not be. There could be. Just from lack of, uh, of oxygen, if you were having difficulty breathing. Okay, uh, this is a parasitic organism. This is actually a protease, uh, trypanosomes. There are a couple of trypanosomes. Brucei is the one that causes uh, African sleeping sickness. Uh, it's also called trypanosomiasis, but African sleeping sickness is the common name. Uh, it gets into the lymphatic and the blood vessels. There's a very long asymptomatic period, and then you get intermittent fever, large spleen, and then if it's, it's still not treated, it will move into the central nervous system, causing people to be very very lethargic, sleep a lot, uh, hence African sleeping sickness is the name. And it's always fatal if not treated. Now, it is treatable. Uh, there are a couple of drugs. Uh, these are for early, this is for later on. Uh, they will kill the parasite and uh, you will recover. Now the problem is uh, that you're not immune to it. Okay, it's spread by the bite of the tsetse fly, so it's a vector, okay? That's what the vector is, it's a tsetse fly. Um, so you, go, you may recover, but then if you get bitten again, you may get the disease again. It's a lot like malaria. You can get malaria once, you can be treated, and then you can get it again. Because you do not develop immunity to proteins. Okay. What time is it? I've lost track of time. Oh, it's almost time. Let's just see what the next one is. And, we'll think. and that was it. How about that? How about that time? There is another kind of uh, uh, trypanosome. We won't cover it in this one because its symptoms are very different, and it's found in the Americas causes something called Chagas disease, and we'll talk about that in another system. Okay. All right, I'll see you in life in a little bit, and uh, get near the end. <laughs>